Welcome to True Crime Daily. Even though the stories you'll hear are short, they are very much intended for an adult audience. The stories you'll hear cover some very serious subject matter, and they contain content that will be alarming for some listeners. Today's story will be especially hard to listen to. Listener discretion is advised. You better watch this one, or she'll fucking kill you. Stir her up the wrong way, or do the wrong thing, and you're fucked. Don't even think of playing up on her, or she'll fucking kill you. Catherine's mother said that to Catherine's first husband, David. Now, 66 years ago, Catherine Knight was born, October of 1955. While a traumatic upbringing isn't a defense for the horrific things that she would go on to do, her childhood is very much a window into the mind of one of Australia's most deranged murderers. Catherine, along with her siblings, were born into an extremely scary home. Her father, Ken, an alcoholic, was both violently and sexually abusive to her mother, Barbara more often than not, in front of the children. Catherine had become accustomed to hearing her mother declare her hatred for both sex and men. Catherine was a victim of ongoing sexual assault by various family members. She grew up with a severe distrust and hatred of men. Many people would say, though, that young Catherine, despite her sadistic parents, was actually a loving child. She showed particular love to animals. School ranked low on Catherine's list of priorities. She dropped out of high school at 15, illiterate. It made sense that she would take a job at the local slaughterhouse in Aberdeen, New South Wales, Australia. Most people in the town worked in the meat industry in one way or another. Her father, Ken, worked in the abattoir as a slaughterman. Two Davids and two Johns would make up the list of the poor men roped into Catherine's life. In 1974, she met David Callett. They married at her request. The marriage was off to a terrible start. She tried strangling him on their wedding night after he fell asleep. Why? He'd only managed three rounds of intercourse. Getting home late was enough for Catherine to burn all his clothes and beat him with a fry pan. David ended up with a fractured skull, but unfortunately Catherine convinced him not to press charges. Her first daughter came with David in 1976. This spurred her possessive behaviour to a point that David could no longer stand. He left her and moved to Queensland. The day after David's departure, Catherine was seen violently pushing the pram of her daughter down Main Street, aggressively from side to side. She was admitted to hospital and diagnosed with postnatal depression. After a few weeks of recovery, she was released. Almost immediately after being released from hospital, she took her two-month-old daughter and placed her on a railway line. She stole an axe and went into town and threatened to kill multiple people. Minutes before the train was due, a passerby saved baby Melissa. Again, arrested and again taken to hospital. This time she would only need to spend 24 hours recovering before she signed herself out. Next, she would take a woman hostage with one of her prized meat knives and demand a lift to Queensland to hunt David down. Stopping at a service station along the way, police again arrested Catherine. David, hearing this, came back to Aberdeen to take care of her. She was released shortly into his care. Four years later, the two had another daughter. This time, Catherine would leave David and move in with her parents. Six years later, she would meet the second David, David Saunders. He, too, would meet the wrath of a very angry woman. But that wasn't enough to stop him from having a daughter with her as well. Saunders moved in with Catherine, but had kept his old apartment as well. 
Whenever Catherine would go crazy, Saunders would retreat to the apartment. Catherine worried that Saunders may have an affair, so she showed him what would happen if he did. In front of him, she slit the throat of his two-year-old dingo pup. Now, it was probably something like Saunders sneezing, but it was enough to send Catherine into a rage. An argument ensued, which resulted in Catherine stabbing Saunders in the stomach with a pair of scissors. He left and went into hiding. Months later, he would return for his daughter's sake to find that Catherine had taken out a restraining order against him, citing that she was afraid. Next, John Chillingworth would spend three years with Catherine, enough time for them to have a baby boy. But she would go on to leave him for John Price, a man that she'd been having an affair with. If you keep in count, that's four children to three men, multiple arrests, psychotic episodes, stabbings, kidnappings, and child abuse. I feel like the writing might have been on the wall for John Price, but he was said to be a great guy. Everyone liked him. He was a dad of three of his own. He made a good living working in the mines, and things were pretty good. John was a local boy, and he was very much aware of Catherine's violent history. But for whatever reason, that wasn't enough to stop him from having her move in. Very quickly, the laid-back life John was used to faded away to a very aggressive and violent one. Catherine pushed John to marry her, going as far as stealing his money so that she could buy herself an engagement ring. Arguments and fights were commonplace now. Catherine was completely unhinged to the point of accusing John's kids of molesting her own after an argument broke out with Catherine trying to gain ownership over John's property. One particular argument got so bad that like she'd done in the past, she stabbed John. He tried using the stabbing to get a restraining order, but he was told that that could take weeks. It wasn't a joke, but John told neighbours and co-workers if he wasn't at work, it was most likely because Catherine had killed him. On February 29th, 2000, she did. After that argument that resulted in the stabbing, Catherine came back to John's house while he was sleeping. They had sex, maybe in an effort to make up after the fight, and John went to sleep. Now this will be hard to hear, so listener discretion is advised. Catherine violently attacked him once he was asleep with one of her prized meatworking knives that she loved so much. He tried escaping, but would ultimately succumb to the 37 stab wounds administered by Catherine Knight. Knight would then work through the night. She decapitated John and propped his body up on the couch with his legs crossed. She completely skinned him and hung the skin around the house. She sliced parts of his buttocks off and served him up on two plates, along with potato, pumpkin, zucchini, cabbage and squash. Gravy on top and notes beside each place with John's kids' names on them. Lastly, she left a note stained in blood with small pieces of John's flesh all over it. It read, Time got you back, Jonathan, for raping my daughter. You too, Beck, for Ross, for little John. Now play with little John's dick, John Price. She was accusing John and his kids of raping her children, accusations that were found to be groundless. She offered to plead guilty to manslaughter, claiming no memory of the crime, rejected and charges of murder were brought against her, to which she pled not guilty to. She would quickly go on to change her plea to guilty, while still never taking responsibility for the murder. She was sentenced to life imprisonment with no parole period. Her papers were marked with never to be released, the first time in Australian history for a woman. 